It was August 4th, 1971, a little bit past midnight. I was 17 years old, and some Jesus freaks had been chasing me all summer long. <laughs> they finally said, Ron, do you want to pray the sinner's prayer? And I said, yes. I thought, at least I'll get them off my case. So I prayed a simple prayer that I didn't really understand that changed my life. Later that night, one of them took me to a restaurant for an early breakfast. About 2.30 in the morning, he asked if we could go out to my car so that we could pray in the car. Sounded a little strange to me. I was filled with the Holy Spirit before my mind convinced me that that doesn't happen anymore. And even though that experience was never a big emotional or intellectual experience for me, it changed my life. Because for some reason, the next morning when I got up to go to work, for the first time, I cared about what God's will was, not mine. That was August 4th, 1971. By October, I was in full-time ministry working with street people. All right, one of our greatest gangsters in Lansing, Michigan at the time was a guy named Billy Graham. <laughs> His girlfriend was a Satanist who was doing seances who came to our coffee house and accepted the Lord, and Billy threatened to murder me because I'd taken her away from him. I didn't believe in demons before her until she started speaking with a man's voice while I prayed for her. I mean, I was baptized into a crazy, crazy world. That was October of 1971. January of 1972, I realized I was broke and I could no longer live on day-old donuts that we got from the local Dunkin' Donuts because they had sympathy for us. And I tried to get a job so I could make a living, and I couldn't find one, and I finally had to go to work with my dad, who was a lifelong entrepreneur. He took me under his wing, and he taught me that there's tremendous value in business. He taught me that it doesn't so much matter what you do, it matters why you do it, and what's in your heart when you do it. But I wasn't quite convinced yet, so I studied for the lay ministry, and in June, actually June 7th of 1977, I was ordained as a lay pastor, and that initiated nine years of full-time church work. I started as an executive pastor, but I got involved in counseling and preaching and all of the things that pastors do, until I was at a pastor's meeting in April of 1986, nine years later, in Chicago, in the very last evening of this pastor's conference, the very last moment of prayer, I heard God speak to me. And I can't explain it to somebody who doesn't know what it means to have a relationship with God. But God told me, pack your bags. It's time to go. I had no idea what that meant. Some of our other church leaders came up and said, God told you to leave, didn't he? Once again, I was spooked. I felt so terrible later on. The presence of God was so powerful that I forgot to ask him where. <laughs> so I was set to fasting and praying, and one morning down in the basement doing my morning devotions during a fast, 
In my spirit, I saw the Lord walk down the stairs into our basement and choose the worst chair in our room to sit in. It was an old, you know, one of those old armchairs that's the upholstery's all torn, so we throw a blanket over it so nobody understands. He sat in that chair. And I said, Lord, thanks for coming back. Where do you want me to go? And after about this much time, he said, well, Ron, where do you want to go? I had no answer. I was empty. Up to this point, the first 15 years of my experience was as a servant and a slave of Christ. I thought all I needed to do was be obedient and I'd please God. And what I began to recognize was that it was always there, I just hadn't seen it, that he said he writes his new covenant in our hearts. And that if he's really my father, he doesn't want me to just be a slave. He wants to have some kind of a partnership with me. He wants to be a co-creator. And it's almost, it's, it's almost obnoxious to say that God asks us to be a co-creator with him. I did not have an answer. So I said, Lord, I remember James that says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally to all men without reproach. I don't know how to hear you, but I know that you know how to open my ears. And that led to the most amazing, unlikely, continuing adventure of my life in business. I can't tell you the whole story because I don't have time this morning. But three years later, I ended up working for a company here in Idaho for which I became the president. And I had the privilege of opening up business in eight different countries and seeing whether or not we could live the values of the gospel in each of these countries where there was not a Christian culture to begin with. That led to 11 years there, which eventually led to me having another wonderful time of devotions one morning, where when I got up and I was just listening, the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. And I instantly knew I needed to retire. Because when God says, well done, and you stick around, the fruit goes bad. So I told our, our board of directors they had six months to find my replacement. I was very fortunate. God had tricked them into giving me a golden handcuff that meant I couldn't work for anybody for a year. So I, determined, I, I discovered during that year that I'll never be a professional golfer. And I could tell more and more of the story to you, but it's been the most amazing adventure for me and it's convinced me that business is ministry. Business is service. These are some of the scriptures that impacted me. First of all, in the obligatory compliance with what Robert asked me to read, I'll start with Acts 18, 1 through 4. <laughs> After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy 
with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked because they were tent makers by trade. I think today we call them home builders. But at that time, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. I, I think, I imagine, based on reading all the writing of Paul that I've had the chance to read, that without a question, his number one desire was to glorify God, but that he found great joy in tent making as a part of the journey. He found a spiritual substance. He found a spiritual satisfaction in doing something practical by which he could build connections with people. Most of these verses you'll be familiar with, but they've been precious to me. I almost feel, I almost feel like I can't read them to you quickly without feeling that I'm not giving them justice. But Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. And I love the statement after it in the New English Standard Version. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. James 1, I already mentioned, if you, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generally to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, my obligation is to believe that somehow God can open up my ears. His obligation is to do it, to speak to me. Now, there are 1 Corinthians 12. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. I always thought that just meant what happens on Sunday. But I'm convinced that's what happens seven days a week. When I saw musicians, artists, accountants, software programmers, marketers who learned how to do all that they do to the glory of God, I realized God is never contained within the church walls. He's always breaking out. And it's an amazing picture that we will see one day when we recognize how much his fingerprints are on everything that's happened in the universe. Many of the plans in a man's heart, but it's the purpose of the Lord that prevails. What I've learned over the years as a business person is that if I don't have plans, I'm not biblical. But if I trust my plans, I'm stupid. We have plans because God uses them to move us, but we don't trust our plans because he always surprises us with something that we had not anticipated. Take your delight in the Lord, and he'll grant you the desires of your heart. I'm not sure if he gives us the desires or if he grants them. It's part of the father-son relationship that we're having with each other. where there, it's, a, it's a dynamic relationship. And finally, this is what's most important to me in the last years of my work as a business person, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above and not the things that are on earth. But whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward because you are serving Christ. I will not say that I've been successful at that every day. 
but I'll say that it's been a constant source of inspiration and guidance and correction that everything we do should be holy, should be set apart to God. How do you complete the journey well? For those of you that are earlier in your, in your adventure than I am, I'm still not finished. I'm still working on these things. I discovered that character is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. Something you have to build. And if you want to look at the greatest direction the scriptures give us for building character, it's the two great commandments. When the lawyer asked Jesus, what are the, what's the greatest law? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. In today's vernacular, I define those as the two great commandments are what are the values by which you are going to choose to govern your own behaviors? And what kind of a partnership with God are you going to build to create that character in your behaviors? And what are the values by which you're going to choose to relate to other people? And will they reflect the kingdom of God no matter what the other side of the equation is reflecting back to you? My, my, my. Years ago, there were two people I told the Lord I didn't think I could ever coach. Muslims, and forgive me, gays. And then the Lord gave me the assignment to coach a Muslim fellow from Pakistan. He grew up in one of the most conservative villages in Pakistan. He's now a Silicon Valley executive. And as I got to know him and watch him not eat during Ramadan, and when Ramadan's in the summer, that's torturous because you have to eat before 4.30 or after 8.30 at night because you can only eat when the sun's down. I fell in love with this guy. He probably occupies a bigger part of my heart today than almost anybody else I've ever coached. Has he confessed faith in Christ? No. Forgive me, but that's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to be an expression of Christ to him. About that same time, I was asked to coach somebody in China where I had an office for a number of years who it became clear to me very quickly that he was gay. Yeah, it was a, maybe eight, ten years ago. I love this guy. We still, I'm old too, Myron, I use Facebook. We still communicate on Facebook. <laughs> it's amazing what God did in our relationship, beyond anything that I thought possible. He's a lifelong friend, not just a client. Because I was willing to let God say to me that you can have business as your mission. Thank you.